This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, farming, gardening, and food. You know, I'm not much for following these social media platforms, but people like my brother Dan are always pushing things my way that concern our tiny blue planet because they know I produce Digging in the Dirt and Gaiagram. My guest today is a young woman who is very concerned about climate change and the water crisis in the West in particular and elsewhere generally. And it appears so are many others because she has over 45,000 followers. For a person like me sharing these concerns about our environment, it gives me great hope that some of the next generation gets it and are ready to do something about it. You're about to meet one such person. Teal Leto, who posts TikToks about serious stuff in a surprisingly hip and engaging manner in rapid-fire delivery to get all those facts in in just minutes, using humor and a bit of salty language to reach her young viewers. So I thought we'd listen to one of her posts first so you can see what she does. If you pay attention to the news at all, you've probably noticed that the West is having a water crisis. But how are we going to fix it? Well, federal officials say that the basin needs to reduce consumption by 25% by next year. Agricultural irrigation rights account for 80% of the water consumed within the basin, but almost all of our conservation efforts are focused on municipal and residential use, which is only 10%. And I don't know about you guys, but the math ain't mathin' for me. The Upper Basin's plan to deal with this is something called demand management, where they pay irrigators with senior water rights to follow their fields so that the water can flow downstream to fulfill their obligations to the lower basin. These leases are supposed to be temporary, but rural agricultural communities are very wary of any proposals to sell their water rights because they don't want their town to be dried out like in the movie Rango. I've been thinking, and I believe I've figured something out. You folks have a water problem. So what can we do to keep these rural communities from drying up while also securing our water future for the Southwest? We need a mechanism for states and municipalities to be able to pay for irrigation upgrades for farmers and then own the efficiency savings. So we reduce overall consumption, but they can continue farming their land. And you're probably wondering why the f aren't we already doing this? That's because our current water management system legally prohibits that from happening. Which is exactly why I'm always shouting into the void about how stupid our water management system is. Because it is literally hindering our ability to deal with this crisis. And because of that, it doesn't really matter what you do in your everyday life. It won't fix this crisis. We need to change the system. The voice you just heard belongs to Teal Leto, who has gotten noticed due to her concerns about the situation with water and the drought out in the western United States. So I'm very excited to introduce you to Teal Leto, the Western Water Girl. Welcome, Teal. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, you, you got it. Love your TikTok channel. Thanks, I appreciate it. <laughs> I may be a little indelicate with this question, but I need to know, how old are you? I'm 25 years old. 25 years old, that's awesome. This isn't an ordinary TikTok channel. How did you get interested in this subject matter? Well, I guess it really started with me being a little kid. I grew up in Durango, Colorado, and we have a river that runs right through our town, and I always was really obsessed with it. Right as I graduated high school, I became a raft guide. And then as I went into college, I became a professional raft racer. And my team attended the world championships in Argentina and Japan, and also a World Cup Invitational in China. And then while in college in Durango, Colorado at Fort Lewis College, I studied mostly water politics. Um, and I founded a club dedicated to water resource issues known as H2Org. And after graduating, I just really, really wanted to continue learning about these issues and continue talking about them. But I again and again ran into many doors that were slammed in my face because I didn't have a PhD or I didn't have a law degree 
or I didn't have the right political connections to be a part of the conversation. And so finally, I decided I was just going to make my own platform. And I considered making a podcast, but it seemed a little bit easier to make a TikTok. So that's what I settled on. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be working, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. I only started the account back in April. So it's been kind of a really rapid journey for me. <laughs> that's cool. So you started in April. And so you produce this yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I just make it in this this room that I'm sitting in right now is my closet, office, and studio. Oh, cool. So what do you see as the problem? I think we have two factors playing into the problem right now in the Colorado River Basin. The first is that we initially over-allocated water resources in the Southwest. We, we decided to allocate more water than there physically was within the river. And then on top of that, flows have been diminishing really rapidly because of increased aridification resulting from climate change. So we're seeing like two factors kind of coming in to make the worst case scenario for water managers. Are you, you are pretty alarmed by the situation? Yeah, I mean, I feel an incredible amount of stress and anxiety about it for so many different reasons. First off, it's putting our Western water and power grid into increased risk of like collapse. And I think people don't understand that we're not like decades away from that. The BOR just released data saying that Lake Mead could reach Deadpool by 2026. Um, and then on top of that is I have a really, really personal connection to these riparian landscapes of the Southwest. And it is kind of appalling to me to witness them dying in, in real time. So hence the TikTok to try to alert everybody. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the water management officials in the Southwest are mostly talking in an echo chamber. And I don't think they're reaching everybody. And the thing is, whether or not you know it, you're a member of a watershed community. And if you live in the southwestern states, you're probably a member of the Colorado River watershed community, mm -hmm. which means you have a stake in what's happening. So you think the people out west, like the politicians, probably not so much, the farmers and the residents are taking this seriously? I, I think that the farmers and residents are taking it seriously. I will say that it seems that rural agricultural residents are taking it more seriously than maybe municipal residents because maybe those municipal residents aren't feeling the impacts yet. Whereas like agricultural communities are feeling those impacts immediately because it affects their immediate production of crops. But I, I really feel that water policy officials in the Southwest um, really just don't want to talk about the elephant in the room, which is that agriculture does use 80% of the water in the basin and we will not achieve 25% reductions like the BOR and federal officials have asked the Colorado River Basin states to make if we don't get agriculture on board. And what's the likelihood of that? Um, <laughs> that's a great question. Million dollar question. I would make a whole lot more money now if I had the answer to it than I do. But um, <laughs> I think realistically, what we're what we're going to see is rural agricultural communities having their water rights bought out. It's called buy and dry contracts. And essentially, municipalities and state entities will pay agricultural irrigators to not irrigate their crops in order to allow that water to flow downstream, either to satisfy municipal needs or to satisfy the compact requirements. The Colorado River Compact does require 7.5 million acre feet to reach the lower basin every year, regardless of what the flows are. Uh -huh. And that creates kind of a conundrum for the upper basin states. Sure. Well, it seems like a lot of players with the dwindling water supplies. How is what we have left going to be divided up? Based on the compact, California is guaranteed to receive all of their water before any other state in the basin. 
So we're, we're probably going to see California not really face that many reductions. The Colorado River Basin, as I've already mentioned, is divided into the upper basin states and the lower basin states. And the upper basin states divide their water based on percentages. So if there's less water, it's equally shared amongst them who receives less water. Um, but in the lower basin, they have something called a drought contingency plan, which makes specific reductions to states within the lower basin. Most recently, I think they entered the next tier of the drought contingency plan, which called for a 21% reduction of water from Arizona, and I believe a like 7 or 8% reduction from Mexico, and then a similar size reduction from Nevada. Uh, but California is not facing any water reduction, which is pretty crazy considering they are the largest consumer in the basin. The upper basin states plan to deal with this drought is something called demand management, which is basically what I was just talking about. They're going to set up a voluntary and compensated program for senior water rights holders that are irrigators to fallow their crops to allow the water to remain in the river and flow downstream to fulfill those obligations to the lower basin states. Is there any move to trying to get the agricultural interest to move to like drip irrigation or other methods to cut down on water use and still get the results they need? There are some efforts, but it is essentially political suicide in the Colorado River Basin to ask irrigators to switch to more efficient irrigation methods or change crop choices. And the reason for that is the way that water law is set up in the Southwest, um, any uh, savings for efficiency are just returned to the basin. So irrigators actually cannot be compensated for any water that they don't use. In fact, they can be punished by having that water right relinquished from there on. And this is called the use it or use it property. And basically it discourages irrigators from becoming more efficient in their water use. Hmm. Wow, complex. We're talking to Teal Lado. She's the Western water girl. Uh, she has a TikTok. You should check it out. She periodically puts them out and lets you know what's going on with this subject matter. I wanna know about snowpack. Around the world, snowpack is melting, right? I mean, the globe is warming, and we're getting less and less glaciers, and le which is going to rise the seas. But at the same time, isn't it snowpack has a lot to do with how much water is going down into the rivers and and catch catching in, say, like Mid Lake Mead and places like that? What happens when that's gone or gets to the point where it's so far gone that there's just not the water coming down that they need? That is 100% accurate. Almost all of the water in the Colorado River Basin comes from snowpack in the Rocky Mountains. A lot of it comes from the state of Colorado. And federal scientists recently said that as soon as 2080, most of Colorado will no longer have snow, which is wow. really, really concerning. This last uh, spring, by May, my own home mountain range, the San Juan Mountains in southern Colorado, had 4% of normal snowpack, which is pretty horrifying. It is. That is definitely going to be one of the main factors affecting diminishing stream flow in the Colorado River Basin for years to come. But I also want to put out there that as we see higher temperatures, the soil and the plants become thirstier. And so we're actually seeing situations like this last year where we had 91% of snowpack overall in the Colorado River Basin, but we only received about 50% of in-stream flow. And that's because it was so dry and we had a really, really hot, dry, windy spring most of that water was consumed before it ever reached Lake Powell or Lake Mead, and not by any humans, just by the natural elements. Hmm. 
So if this continues like this and water keeps running out and they no, they ban lawns, for instance, <laughs> things stupid things like that, will, will there be a migration? Do you think there'll be a lot of people leaving? I think what we're actually going to see is not people leaving municipal urban areas because places like Las Vegas have confirmed that you can actually live in the middle of a desert in a metropolis without using all that much water. Vegas uses very little water. They've actually decreased their consumption while increasing their population. And all of the water in their city is used like three times before it leaves. And most of it does have return flow. Rather, than I didn't know that. Yeah. Like Vegas is a leader in water conservation. So it yeah. is possible to have urban centers in like super dry areas that are efficient. But we are going to see large migrations from these rural agricultural communities because Despite the fact that they have senior water rights, at the end of the day, it is literally our plan to deal with this drought by paying them to not irrigate. Hmm. And you can't have a farming community if you can't farm. So unfortunately, these, these rural agricultural communities have just a couple of years to adapt and change uh, the way they irrigate or their crop choices or whatever it is they need to do to conserve water, or they will be bought out and dried out, unfortunately. And that's where we'll see people migrating from. So you think agriculture will move to different regions, like, you know, maybe the Northeast or? I definitely think so. I think there's going to be a lot of, in particular, like alfalfa farmers here in the Southwest that are no longer going to be able to viably continue their alfalfa production. Interesting. So you think some of these issues are going to be faced by the regions like I'm in, I'm in the Northeast, we have lots of water. Uh, and we get lots of rain too. But, you know, Massachusetts had a drought, for instance. So do you think some of this stuff is going to affect communities in, in the Northeast or, you know, even in the upper Northwest? 100%. I just made a TikTok video recently about what happened in Jackson, Mississippi. And I think that's a great example of regardless of how much water you have, climate change is coming for your water resources. If you're not going to have water quantity issues, you're going to have water quality issues. But climate change is coming for all water resources. The UN literally says climate change and the climate crisis is a water crisis. Water is the primary medium that we will feel the climate crisis through. Hmm. Um, I know you have a strong opinion about the rights and participation of indigenous people. I mean, can you address that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, in a lot of these conversations, indigenous leaders are left out. Um, and I don't necessarily want to speak for them. I just want to make a space at the table for them because they have been obviously inhabiting these lands far longer than we have. Um, and also they have the traditional ecological knowledge to save us from this crisis. They know how to dry land farm. They understand how to survive in an arid environment. And um, also uh, indigenous peoples own 20% of the water rights here in the Colorado River Basin. But unfortunately, most of them lack the federally funded infrastructure to be able to use that water. And so even though they have some of the eldest and most senior water rights in the basin, most of those indigenous tribal nations are facing their own water crisis and have been for a lot longer than the other entities within the basin. Hmm. And so they sell those rights to people because they're not using them? In some cases, they do. They'll lease them to other entities. In other cases, like they have the right to the water, but they have no physical way to access it. And in other cases, they're still litigating how much water is owed to them. I get it. So I read a recent story about farmers and ranchers up in the Northwest. They're paying $500 fines a day and breaking the law and using the water they're not supposed to be using out of the Shasta River. 
So they're, they're just taking it illegally. So that's not helping the solution, is it? No, it's definitely not. And that's conflict over water is huge in the Southwest. I live one county over from Montezuma County, which has uh, one of the only water sheriffs in the world. Um, so that's his whole job is he goes around and deals with irrigators. There's an awesome article from NPR about this, uh, where he talks about how he has like many violent calls every summer where people are fighting, like physically fighting over water rights. So you think we're going to have some water wars coming up here? I think I think we're going to continue to see increased litigation and conflict over water rights. And I think it's really important to hearken back to what John Wesley Powell said in 1893, which I'm going to paraphrase. But he basically said, I tell you, gentlemen, you're leaving a, a legacy of litigation and conflict over water rights amongst your constituents. So we've known for over 100 years that this was coming. We're just finally reaching that breaking point. 100 years. I know. Can you imagine if we actually addressed it like 30 years ago? We'd be in about a lot better place, wouldn't we? Or even uh, back when John Wesley Powell was part of the USGS, he specifically recommended that we divide Western states based on watershed boundaries. Mm -hmm. And this, this whole situation would be a lot better if we had done that. Because here in the West, we pump water up and over mountains into different watersheds. And that's a huge part of the problem in the basin. Uh, for example, the water that's used in the Imperial Valley of California is pumped out of the watershed of the Colorado River. And that's part of the reason why the Colorado River Delta has been dry for a really long time, sure. which is not how it's supposed to be. There's actually this really amazing, I think it's Aldo Leopold wrote something about how beautiful the mangroves used to be there, but they don't exist anymore. Wow. A lot of things are not going to exist anymore. And, you know, folks, if you want to see something really interesting, there's the, you've heard the story about the Saudi Arabians pumping out of the aquifer out in the West. Too. You, we're not going to get into it. We don't have the time, but you should check out TikTok that Teal has posted on that subject. And it's just unbelievable that these things continue to go on and they're crazy. Let me ask you about your posting about inaccurate news. And, you know, I mean, you, you went after a couple of people, you know, what's your take on social media, the good and the bad, you know, especially in relation to this subject matter we're talking about? Honestly, I think social media has this amazing power to democratize information and allow anyone to be part of the conversation. But unfortunately, the people who are the most knowledgeable are refusing to participate in that conversation than those who who intend to spread misinformation have the space to run free. And that's kind of what I'm seeing in the water world is that these water policy leaders are not reaching the general public. They're assuming that the general public doesn't have the understanding to listen and understand what's happening. And because of that, there are entities on the internet that are spreading incredibly false misinformation. For example, I hear all the time that the water crisis is happening because we're releasing water for hydropower into the ocean. And again, the Colorado River hasn't reached the ocean since 2014. And when it did, it was a huge deal. So that's like physically not possible. And all of the hydropower that's generated in the Colorado River Basin is like simply a byproduct of water being released to fulfill deliveries downstream. But this is a narrative that just keeps being pushed online. And in the absence of like the California Department of Water Resources coming out and like correcting that, it's just perpetuating. It feels like I'm fighting an uphill battle. <laughs> but I do appreciate that at least the internet gave me the platform to be able to discuss those things and to refute that misinformation. I just wish that the more recognized and professional entities involved in this arena would utilize the platform in the same way. 
Well, I'm certainly happy you're doing what you're doing because it's very informative and it's helpful. I think that people get a fresh take from somebody young who's, like I said, hip and, and delivers in a way that makes it understandable to people who don't understand the subject matter. I mean, this is very complex, but, you know, there is solutions, right? There are. There are. That's what's crazy is we have all of the technology to solve this crisis. We are past the point of needing excess technology to fix this. And we really just need incentive programs to get people on board. Right. Um, one of the things that I get a lot on my TikTok is that people talk about augmentation programs. So like a pipeline from the east or desalination. And the thing is, like the way water law works in the west, if we provide more water, we will just issue more water rights and we'll be in the same position in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So until we like actually address the structural deficiencies in our legal system for managing water, there's no point in augmenting resources. Yeah, if we don't watch out after 2100, it might be harvesting the water like Dune. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so yeah. here, I'm going to play omnipotent leader here for a moment and make you in charge of setting and implementing a water policy that works. What would you do? Oh, that's such a great question. <laughs> okay. I have a couple of different ideas, but number one, I would outlaw any non-functional turf grass. I don't think we need turf grass here in the Southwest. Amen. End of the lawn. Um, I am going to be totally honest with you. I know that that's the uh, low-hanging fruit. It only accounts for like maybe max 5% of the water used in the basin. So that's not enough to get us to the 25% reductions we need. The second thing I would do is alter water law in the Southwest. And I would need to like work with some actual lawyers to figure out exactly how to do that. But I would create a mechanism for states and municipalities to be able to compensate irrigators to upgrade their irrigation infrastructure so that it becomes more efficient and then own those efficiency savings from there on out. So as it stands, if a irrigator wants to sell their water right, they have to sell the whole thing. It's not really um, possible for them to be like, I'm going to use 50% of my water right and sell the other half. It's, it's all or nothing for them. So I would like to create a mechanism that allows them to be compensated for those efficiency changes or even crop choice changes. And then the third thing I would do is I would immediately require indigenous leadership to be involved in all land and water policy decisions being made in the Southwest, because realistically, we're going to need their wisdom to get out of this crisis that we've made. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts about my generation? Did we drop the ball? And what about your generation? There's two generations let's talk about. What do we do that <laughs> screw everything up, <laughs> which I believe? And what, what is your generation going to do to get out of it? And, and are they willing to start doing that? Well, first off, I don't even think it was your generation that dropped the ball. It was like multiple generations before you guys. It was like back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, we believed that rain would follow the plow. So we genuinely thought that if we farmed a region, rain would just come to that region. And so that's why we decided to do all this agriculture in a place that really didn't have the water to support it. Um, I do think, however, one thing that this older generation needs to recognize is that the ways of communicating these issues to people that we've traditionally used are no longer reaching people. And also that we need to create avenues for young people like myself who are passionate about these issues to actually be involved. Because at this time, there's a very strong educational barrier where people will be like, well, you need a law degree. And I don't think an Please don't take this offensively, but I don't think someone like yourself really under like your age really understands how expensive degrees are now. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to get a law degree, I would need to go two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars in debt 
And I would not be able to do public interest work for this kind of thing for at least a decade after that to pay off that debt. And this is happening now. And in reality, like these water resources, they do belong to all of us, but they are really for our future generations. And so it's not really fair to tell a young person, like you need to wait your turn when it's impacting us now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also, I think young people really, really want, um, they want like individual solutions. So like a lot of times on my platform, people will ask like, does going vegan help? Should I get a more efficient washer machine? Should I get rid of my lawn? And like each one of those things individually is helpful. And I don't discourage anybody from taking those actions. But realistically, we will not fix this crisis until we fix the system. And there's not a lot of people that are asking for the system to be changed. And so that's what young people really need to do is stand up and get their voice out there and talk about how broken the system is and fix it for ourselves and for future generations. Maybe vote for uh, their own generation, right? To get, get them into office. Yeah. Yeah. Or at the very least, voting for people who understand how the... Uh, entire water rights system works here in the West because it's complicated. And I think a lot of our politicians and political leaders like genuinely don't even understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. So any one last thought here you'd like to leave with people, something important to you? I think I would just really like to stress that a lot of times this issue is painted as a rural versus urban divide. And in reality, it doesn't need to be that way. We can work together and we can support each other but we are going to need to change the way that we've done things. We cannot keep trying the same system over and over again because we're just going to get the same results. And the sooner that our water managers and political leaders recognize that and get to work on finding those solutions, the better. But right now we have a, people like to say that we have a supply versus demand gap. And I think we have a dreams versus realities gap. And we can't really afford to keep dreaming any longer. Amen. Toledo, the Western Water Girl, thank you for joining me. Uh, the future is in good hands if we can get more people like yourself working on it. Thank you. That's so kind. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining me. Of course. Listen, guys, if you give a single about these riparian ecosystems like the Grand Canyon and Lake Powell, then you need to turn out to vote in November. Riparian ecosystems account for 80% of the biodiversity in the Southwest, but they're also the most susceptible to the effects of climate change and poor water management. We need elected officials that understand the value of these ecosystems and are willing to take action to protect them. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. Today you get a double dose of digging in the dirt from the Colorado River Basin to right here in our own backyard in Bridgeport, Park City Compost, coming up next.